You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Stalin and his supporters highlighted that socialism can be built and consolidated by a country, socialism in one country, as underdeveloped as Russia during the 1920s. Indeed, this might be the only means in which it could be built in a hostile environment. In 1933, Stalin put forward the theory of aggravation of the classes' struggle along with the development of socialism, arguing that the further the country would move forward, the more acute forms of struggle will be used by the doomed remnants of exploiter classes in their last desperate efforts, and that, therefore, political repression was necessary. In 1936, Stalin announced that the society of the Soviet Union consisted of two non-antagonistic classes, workers and the Kokos peasantry. These corresponded to the two different forms of property over the means of production that existed in the Soviet Union, state property for the workers and collective property for the peasantry. In addition to these, Stalin distinguished the stratum of intelligentsia, the concept of non-antagonistic classes, was entirely new to Leninist theory. Among Stalin's contributions to communist theoretical literature were dialectical and historical materialism, Marxism and the nation, national question, Trotskyism or Leninism, and the principles of Leninism. Before the 1991 dissolution of the Soviet Union, researchers who attempted to count the number of people killed during the period of Stalin produced estimates ranging from 3 million to 60 million. After the Soviet Union dissolved, Evidence from the Soviet archives also became available, containing official records of 800,000 executions between 1921 and 1953, 
and around 1.7 million deaths in the Gulag, and some 400,000 deaths during Kulak forced resettlement, with a total of about 2.9 million officially recorded victims in these categories. The official Soviet archival records do not contain comprehensive figures for some categories of victims, such as those of ethnic deportations or of German population transfers in the aftermath of World War II. Historians write that by 1948, the mortality rate of 600,000 people deported from the Caucasus between 1943 and 1944 had reached 25%. Other notable exclusions from the NKVD data on repression deaths include the Katyn Massacre, other executions in the newly occupied area, and the mass shooting of Red Army personnel, deserters and so-called deserters in 1941. The Soviets executed 158,000 soldiers for deserting during the war and the blocking detachments of the NKVD shot, shot thousand more. Also, the official statistics on Gulag mortality excludes deaths of prisoners taking place shortly after their release, but which resulted from treatment in the camps. Some historians also believe that the official archival figures of the categories that were recorded by the Soviet authorities are unreliable and incomplete. In addition to failures regarding comprehensive recordings, as one additional example, some historians argue that many aspects, suspects beaten and tortured to death while in investigative custody, were likely not to have been counted among the executed. Historians working after the Soviet Union's dissolution have estimated victim totals ranging from approximately 4 million to nearly 10 million, not including those who died in famines. Some historians, for example, make the following estimates. Executions, 1.5 million. Gulags, 5 million. De deportations, 1.7 million out of the 7.5 million people deported and POWs and German civilians, one million, so a total of about nine million victims of repression. Some have also included the deaths of six to eight million people in the 1932-33 famine, among the victims of repression during the period of Stalin. This categorization is controversial, however, as historians differ as to whether the famine in the Ukraine was created as a deliberate part of the campaign of repression against Kulaks and others, or was it an unintended consequence of the struggle over forced collectivization, or was simply primary result of natural factors. Accordingly, the famine victims are included, a minimum of around 10 million deaths 6 million from famine and 4 million from other causes are attributable to the period, with a number of recent historians suggesting a likely total of around 20 million, citing much higher victim totals from executions, gulag camps, deportations, and other causes. Adding 6.8 million 
famine victims to the estimates above, for example, would yield a total between 15 and 17 million victims. Some researchers have revised their original estimates of up to 30 million victims down to 20 million. Conquest states that while exact numbers may never be known with complete certainty, at least 15 million people were either executed or worked to death in the camps. Some historians maintain that the earlier higher victim total estimates are correct, although they include those killed by the government of the Soviet Union in other Eastern European countries as well. Today, after two decades of access to Eastern Europe archives, and thanks to the work of German, Russian, Israeli, and other scholars, we can resolve the question of numbers. The total number of non-combats killed by the Germans was about 11 million, is roughly what we had thought. The total number of civilians killed by the Soviets, however, is considerably less than we had believed. We know now that the Germans killed more people than the Soviets did. All in all, the Germans deliberately killed about 11 million non-combatants. A figure rises to more than 12 million if foreseeable deaths from deportation, hunger, and sentences in concentration camps are included. For the Soviets during the Stalin period, the analogous figures are approximately 6 million and 9 million. These figures are of course subject to revision, but it is very unlikely that the consensus will change again as radically as it has since the opening of the Eastern European archives in the 1990s. World War II years, 1939 to 1945. Stalin makes a pact with Hitler. After talks with Germany regarding a potential political deal on August 23, 1939, the Soviet Union entered into a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany, negotiated by Soviet Foreign Minister Vashkalev Molotov and German Foreign Minister Jakobem von Rippertrop, officially a non-aggression treaty only and a appended secret protocol also reached on 23, the August 23, 1939, divided Eastern Europe into German and Soviet spheres of influence. The eastern part of Poland, Latvia, Estonia, Finland, and part of Romania were recognized as part of the Soviet sphere of influence, with Lithuania added in a second secret protocol in September 1939. Stalin and Ribbentrop traded toasts on the night of the signing, discussing past hostilities between the countries. German-Soviet trade agreements completely undermined the British blockade of Germany. Economic cooperation was so considerable that in 1939, Trotsky called Stalin Hitler's quartermaster. On September 1st, 1939, a, the German invasion of its agreed-upon portion of Poland started World War II. 
On September 17th, the Red Army invaded eastern Poland and occupied the Polish territory, assigned to it by the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, followed by a coordination with the German forces in Poland. Eleven days later, the secret protocol of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was modified, allotting Germany a larger part of Poland while ceding most of Lithuania to the Soviet Union. After Stalin declared that he was going to solve the Baltic problem by June 1940, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia were merged into the Soviet Union. After repressions and actions therein brought about the deaths of over 160,000 citizens of these states. After facing stiff resistance in an invasion of Finland, an interim peace was entered granting the Soviet Union the eastern region of Karelia, which is 10% of the Finnish territory. After this campaign, actions were taken to bolster the Soviet military, modify training and improve propaganda efforts to the Soviet military. In June 1940, the Soviet annexation of Bessarabia and northern Buvaknia was directed this formerly Romanian territory becoming part of the Moldavian Soviet Socialist Republic. But in annexing northern Bovaknia, the Soviet Union had gone beyond the agreed limits of the secret protocol. After the tripartite pact was signed by the excess powers, Germany, Japan, and Italy in October 1940, Stalin traded letters with Ribbentrop, with Stalin writing about entering an agreement regarding a permanent basis for their mutual interests. After a conference in Berlin, however, between Hitler, Molotov, and Ribbentrop, Germany presented Molotov with a proposed written agreement for access entry. On November 25th, Stalin responded with a proposed written agreement for access entry which was never answered by Germany. Shortly thereafter, Hitler issued a secret directive on the eventual attempts to invade the Soviet Union. In an effort to demonstrate peaceful intentions towards Germany, on April 13, 1941, Stalin oversaw the signing of the neutrality pact with Axis power Japan. On May 6th, Stalin replaced Molotov as premier of the Soviet Union. Although Stalin had been the de facto head of government for a decade and a half, he had concluded relations with Nazi Germany's had deteriorated to such an extent that he needed to deal with the problem as de jure head of government as well. In the early mornings of, of June 22, 1941, Adolf Hitler broke the pact by implementing Operation Barbarossa, the German invasion of the Soviet Union that began the war on the Eastern Front. Already in autumn 1940, Stalin received a warning from the Dutch Communist Party via the network of the Red Orchestra that Hitler was preparing for a winter war 
by allowing the construction of thousands of snow landing gears for Junkers Ju-52 transport planes. Although Stalin had received warning from spies like Richard Sorge, Stalin's top spy in Imperial Japan, and his own Red Army generals, he felt that Germany would not attack the Soviet Union until Germany had defeated Britain. In the initial hours after the German attack commenced, Stalin hesitated, wanting to ensure that the German attack was sanctioned by Hitler, rather than an unauthorized action of a rogue general. Accounts by Nikita Khrushchev and Anastas Mikhayan claim that after the invasion, Stalin retreated to his Dhaka in despair for several days and did not participate in leadership decisions. However, documentary evidence of orders given by Stalin contradicts these accounts, leading some historians to speculate that Khrushchev's account is inaccurate. By the end of 1941, the Soviet military had suffered 4.3 million casualties. Then German forces had advanced 1,000 miles. In September 1941, Stalin told British diplomats that he wanted two agreements. One, a mutual assistance aid pact, and two, a recognition that after the war, the Soviet Union would gain the territories and countries that it had taken pursuant to its division of Eastern Europe with Hitler in the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. The British agreed to assistance but refused to agree upon the territorial gains, which Stalin accepted months later as the military situation deteriorated somewhat in mid-1942. By December 1941, Hitler's troops had advanced to within 20 miles of the Kremlin in Moscow. On December 5th, the Soviets launched a counteroffensive, pushing German troops back 40 to 50 miles from Moscow. In 1942, Hitler shifted his primary goal from an immediate victory in the East to the more long-term goal of securing the Southern Soviet Union to conquer oil fields vital to a long-term German war effort. In July 1942, Hitler praised the efficiency of the Soviet military industry in Stalin. Stalin, too, must command our unconditional respect. In his own way, he is one hell of a fellow. He knows his models, Genghis Khan and the others, very well, and the scope of his industrial planning is exceeded only by our own four-year plan. While the Red Army generals saw evidence that Hitler would shift efforts south, Stalin considered this to be a flanking campaign in an efforts to take Moscow. By November 1942, the Soviets had begun to repulse the important German strategic southern campaign. And although there were 2.5 million Soviet casualties in that effort, 
It permitted the Soviets to take the offensive for most of the rest of the war on the Eastern Front. Germany attempted an encirclement attack in Kursk, which was successfully repulsed by the Soviets. Kursk marked the beginning of a period where Stalin became more willing to listen to the advice of his generals. By the end of 1943, the Soviets occupied half the territory taken by the Germans from 1941 to 1942. Soviet military industrial output has also increased substantially from late 1941 to early 1943, after Stalin had moved factories well into the east of the front, safe from German invasion and air attack. In November 1943, Stalin met with Churchill and Roosevelt in Tehran. The parties later agreed that Britain and America would launch a cross-channel invasion of France in May 1944, along with a separate invasion of southern France. Stalin insisted that after the war, the Soviet Union should incorporate the portions of Poland it occupied, pursuant to the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact with Germany which Churchill opposed. In 1944, the Soviet Union made significant advances across Eastern Europe towards Germany, including Operation Bagration and massive offensive in the Bielorussian SSR against the German Army Group Center. By April 1945, Nazi Germany faced its last days with 1.9 million German soldiers in the east fighting 6.4 million Red Army soldiers, while 1 million German soldiers in the west battled 4 million Western Allied soldiers. While initial talk existed of a race to Berlin by the Allies, after Stalin successfully lobbied for Eastern Germany to fall within the Soviet sphere of influence at Yalta, no plans were made by the Western Allies to seize the city by a ground operation. On April 30th, Hitler and Eva Braun committed suicide, after which Soviet forces found their remains, which had been burned at Hitler's directive. German forces sur surrendered a few days later. Fending off the German invasion and pressing to victory in the east required a tremendous sacrifice by the Soviet Union. The Soviet military casualties totaled approximately 35 million, with approximately 14 million killed, missing, or captured. Although figures vary, the Soviet civilian death toll probably reached 20 million. One in four Soviets was killed or wounded. Some 1,700 towns and 70,000 villages were destroyed. Thereafter, Stalin was at times referred to as one of the most influential men in human history. At the Tehran and Yalta conferences, Stalin agreed to enter the war against Japan after Germany's defeat. On April 5, 1945, the Soviet government officially denounced the Soviet-Japanese Neutrality Pact. Then at the Potsdam Conference in June 1945, the Soviet Union reaffirmed its agreement to declare war on Japan and did so 
on August 8th, three months after Germany's surrender. The next day, in between the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Soviet army invaded Japanese-occupied Manchuria and quickly defeated the Kwantung army. These events led the Japanese surrender in the complete end of World War II. After taking around 300,000 Polish prisoners in 1939 and early 1940, 25,000 Polish POWs were executed on March 5, 1940, pursuant to a note to Stalin in what was became known as the Katyn Massacre. While St Stalin personally told a Polish general they'd lost track of the officers in Manchuria, Polish railroad workers found the mass grave after the 1941 Nazi invasion. The massacre became a source of political controversy, with the Soviets eventually claiming that Germany committed the executions when the Soviet Union retook Poland in 1944. The Soviets did not admit responsibility until 1990. Stalin introduced controversial military orders such as Order No. 270 in August 1941, requiring superiors to shoot deserters on the spot while their family members were subject to arrest. Thereafter, Stalin also conducted a purge of several military commanders that were shot for cowardice without trial. Stalin issued Order No. 227 in July 1942, directing that commanders permitting retreat without permission to be subject to a military tribunal and soldiers guilty of disciplinary procedures to be forced into penal battalions, which were sent to the most dangerous sections of the front line. From 1942 to 1945, 430,000 soldiers were assigned to penal battalions. The orders also directed blocking detachments to shoot fleeing panicked troops at the rear. In June 1941, weeks after the German invasion began, Stalin also directed employing a scorched earth policy of destroying the infrastructure and food supplies of an area before the Germans could seize them, and the Partisans were to be set up in evacuated areas. He also ordered the NKVD to murder around 100,000 political prisoners in areas where the Wehrmacht approached, while others were deported east. After the capture of Berlin, Soviet troops reportedly raped from tens of thousands to two million women and 50,000 during and after the occupation of Budapest. Many of these women died or committed suicide as a result of the rape. In former Axis countries such as Germany, Romania, and Hungary, Red Army officers generally viewed cities, villages, and farms as being open to pillaging and looting. In the Soviet-occupied zone of post-war Germany, the Soviets set up 10 NKVD-run special camps subordinate to the Gulag. These special camps were former Stalags, prisons or Nazi concentration camps such as Sassenschenhausen, which was known as Special Camp Number no. 7, 
and Buchenwald, special camp number two. According to German government estimates, 65,000 people died in those Soviet-run camps or in transportation to them. According to recent figures of an estimated 4 million POWs taken by the Soviets, including Germans, Japanese, Hungarians, Romanians, and others, some 600,000 never returned, presumably victims of privations or the gulags. German estimates puts the actual death toll of German POWs in the Soviet Union at about 1 million. They maintain that among those reported as missing were men who actually died as POWs. Soviet POWs and forced laborers who survived German captivity were sent to special transit or filtration camps to determine which were potential traitors. Of the approximately 4 million to be repatriated, 2.6 million were civilian and 1.5 million were former POWs. Of the 2.4 million that were sent home and the 800,000 were reconscripted into the armed forces. 600,000 were enrolled in work battalions of the Defense Ministry. 272,000 were transferred to the authority of the NKVD for punishment, which meant a transfer to the Gulag system. 90,000 remained in the transit camps as reception personnel until the repatriation process was finally wound up in the early 1950s. Stalin's death. Stalin's health deteriorated towards the end of World War II. He suffered from osteochorosis, from his heavy smoking, a mild stroke around the time of the victory parade, and a severe heart attack in 1945. In the early morning hours of March 1st, 1953, after an all-night dinner and a movie, Stalin arrived at his Kuncevo residence, 15 kilometers west of Moscow center, with Interior Minister Lavrenty Beria and future Premier Gorgi Malenkov, Nikolai Bulganin, and Nikita Khrushchev, where he retired to his bedroom to sleep. At dawn, Stalin did not emerge from his room. Although his guards thought that it was strange not to see him awake at his usual time, they were strictly instructed not to bother him and left him alone the entire day. Around 10 p.m., he was discovered by Peter Lonskajev, the deputy commandant of Kantensevo, who entered his bedroom to check on him and recalled a scene of Stalin's lying on his back on the floor of his room beside his bed, wearing pajama bottoms and an undershirt, his clothes stoked in stale urine. A frightened Lodgajev asked Stalin what had happened to him, but all he could get out of him was an unintelligible response, response that sounded like, Lazarev used the bedroom telephone to frantically call a few party officials. He told them that Stalin may have had a stroke and asked them to send good doctors to his residence immediately. 
Laverenti Biria was informed and arrived a few hours afterwards. The doctors arrived in the early morning of March 2nd when they changed Starlin's <clears throat> bedclothes and tended to him. They diagnosed him with a cerebral hemorrhage or a stroke caused by hypertension or high blood pressure with stomach hemorrhage facilitating. He was treated in his DACA with leeches, as was customary at the time. On March 3rd, his double, Felix Dadev, was recalled from vacation to Moscow to be ready to stand in for Stalin if needed, but he never needed to. On March 4th, Stalin's illness was broadcast in the media with surprising details, such as pulse, blood pressure, and urinalysis. For convenience, the time of his stroke was said to be second, March 2nd, and his location is Moscow. The bedridden Stalin died on March 5th, 1953, at the age of 74. There is an assassination theory, of course. The political memoirs of Yalysheskalov Molotov, published in 1993, claimed that Beria had boasted to Molotov that he poisoned Stalin, saying that I took him out. Stomach hemorrhage is usually not caused by high blood pressure, but is, along with stroke, consistent with the overdose of warfarin a colorless, tasteless, anticoagulant drug. In the treating physician's final report submitted to the Central Committee in July 1953, any mentioning of the stomach hemorrhage was deleted or vastly subordinate to other information. In 2004, American historians published a book proposing that Beria, with the complicity of Khrushchev, slipped warfarin into Stalin's wine on the night of his death. Stalin's autopsy conducted by the Soviet Ministry of Health in March 1953, but was not released until 2011, confirmed the cause of death as stroke resulting from high blood pressure, and that hypertension had also caused cardiac hemorrhage not usually caused by high blood pressure, and gastrointestinal hemorrhage as well. Some have interpreted the autopsy's composition as the examiner's desire to demonstrate for posterity that they had fulfilled their professional duties as best they could by mentioning the non-cerebral hemorrhage. At the same time, they would have proved themselves political cover by purposely attributing the hemorrhage to hypertension instead of poisoning by warfarin. It was noted when the autopsy was performed, Stalin was worshipped as a demigod and his assassination would have been unacceptable to the Russian populace. It's also noted that Stalin experienced renal hemorrhages during his death which is unlikely to be caused by high blood pressure. Yuri Leviton, the announcer during the war, brought the Soviet people news of victories, but never of defeats. 
announced Stellan's death, slowly, solemnly, and with a voice brimming over with emotion, he read, The Central Committee of the Communist Party, the Council of Ministers, and the Presidium of Soviet, Supreme Soviet, the USSR, announced with deep grief that the party and all workers that on March 5th, at 9.50 p.m., Joseph Stalin, Secretary of the Central Committee of the Communist Party and Chairman of the Council of Ministers, has died after a serious illness. The heart of the collaborator and follower of the genius of Lenin's work, the wise leader and teacher of the Communist Party and of the Soviet people, has stopped beating. After one and a half million people had visited his bomb body, it was laid to rest on March 9, 1953, in Lenin's mausoleum. On October 31, 1961, his body was removed from the mausoleum and buried in the Kremlin Wall, necropolis, next to the Kremlin walls as part of the process of de-Stalinization. The Chinese government instituted a period of, of official mourning for Stalin's death. Mao ordered the flag to be flown at half-mast and banned recreation for three days. He also eulogized Stalin in an article as a great leader, a Marxist theorist, and a friend of China. On March 9th, the country observed a five-minute period silence in Stalin's memory. His demise arrived at a convenient time for Lavrienti, Beria, and others who feared being swept away in yet another purge. It was believed that Stalin felt Beria's power was too great and threatened his own. After Stalin's death, a power struggle for his vacant position took place between the following eight senior members of the Presidium of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, listed in order according to their to order of precedence presented formally on March 5, 1953. Georgi Melikov, Lavrienti Biria, Yakshilaz Molotov, Klim Voroshlov, Nikita Khrushchev, Nikolai Bulganin, Lazar Kaganevich, Anastas Mykoyan. The struggle lasted until 1958, and in September of that year, Khrushchev was elected chairman of the Council of Ministers, or Prime Minister, who was replacing Bulganin, who was, reelected, re who was elected to the post in March. On December 17, 1953, some nine months after Stalin's death, Dmitry Shostakovich, who had been publicly denounced twice by the Stalin government, premiered his 10th symphony, which in the book Testimony was described as being about Stalin and the Stalin years. The strictness with which Soviet affairs were conducted during Stalin's tenure was subsequently repudiated by his successors in the Communist Party leadership, most notably by Nikita Khrushchev's repudiation of Stalinism in February 1956. In his secret speech on the cult of personality and its consequences, delivered to a closed session of the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, Khrushchev denounced Stalin for the cult of personality surrounding him and his government for violations 
of socialist legality. Marxism was the guiding philosophy throughout Stalin's adult life. According to Montefiore, Marxism held a quasi-religious value for Stalin. During his early life, Marxism blended with Georgian nationalism as a core component of his outlook. In 1917, he wrote that, there is dogmatic Marxism and there is creative Marxism. I stand on the ground of the latter. Volkanov, however, believed that Stalin's Marxism was shaped by his dogmatic turn of mind, something that Volkanov suggested had been instilled in the Soviet leader during his education in religious institutions. According to some scholars, Stalin's new few innovations in ideology were crude, dubious developments of Marxism. Some of these derived from political expediency rather than any sincere intellectual commitment. Stalin referred to himself as a practic, meaning that he was more practical revolutionary than theoretician. As a Marxist, Stalin believed in an inevitable class war between the world's working and middle classes. He believed that the working classes would prove successful in the struggle and would establish a dictatorship of the proletariat. He also believed that this proletariat state would need to introduce repressive measures to ensure the full crushing of the propertied classes. The new state would be then be able to ensure that all citizens had access to work, food, shelter, health care, and education. With the wastefulness of capitalism eliminated by a new standardized economic system, Stalin claimed to be a loyal Leninist. Nevertheless, he was, according to some, not a blindly obedient Leninist. Stalin respected Lenin, but not uncritically, and spoke out when he believed that Lenin was wrong. During the period of his revolutionary activity, Stalin regarded some of Lenin's views and actions as being the self-indulgent activities of a spoiled child deeming them counterproductive for those Bolshevik activists based within the Russian Empire itself. He adopted the Leninist view on the need for a revolutionary vanguard who could lead the proletariat rather than being led by them. Stalin viewed nations as contingent entities which were formed by capitalism and could merge into others. Ultimately, he believed that all nations would merge into a single global human community. In his work, he stated that the right of succession should be offered to the ethnic minorities of the Russian Empire, but that they should not be encouraged to take that option. He was of the view that if they became fully autonomous, then they would end up being controlled by the most reactionary elements of their community. For ex example, he cited the largely illiterate Tartars, whom he claimed would end up dominated by their mullahs. According to other scholars, Stalin's Marxism was imbued with a great deal of Russian nationalism. However, according to some, Stalin's embrace of the Russian nation was pragmatic, as the Russians were the core of the population of the, of the USSR. It was not a rejection of his Georgian origins. 
Stalin's push for Soviet westward expansion into Eastern Europe resulted in accusations of Russian imperialism. Stalinism was a development of Leninism, the Stalinist blend of Russian nationalism, Marxism, and state atheism was so idiosyncratic a comp compilation as to be virtually Stalin's own invention. In adulthood, Stalin measured five feet four inches. To give the impression that he was much taller, he wore stacked shoes and stood on a small wooden platform during parades. His mustache face and pockmarked small was pockmarked with, from smallpox during childhood. He was born with webbed left foot, and his left arm had been permanently injured in a childhood, probably when he was hit by a horse-drawn carriage. During his youth, he usually wore a red satin shirt, gray coat, red fedora, and or alternatively, a traditional Georgian chokaha and white hood. At the time, he grew his hair long and often had a beard. His cultivation of a scruffy appearance deliberately sought to reject middle-class aesthetic values. Stalin was ethnically Georgian and had grown up speaking the Georgian language. Stalin remained proud of his Georgian identity and culture, and throughout his life, he retained his Georgian accent when speaking Russian. According to scholars, his ad adaptation of Russian culture has been Ex exaggerated, and he was profoundly Georgian in his lifestyle and personality, spending much of his final years in his homeland. Some were in the view of, after 1917, he became a quadri-national, Georgian by nationality, Russian by loyalty, internationalist by ideology, Soviet by citizenship. It is stated that Stalin would never be a Russian and could not credibly pass as one. Stalin had a soft voice, and when speaking Russian, he did so slowly, carefully choosing his paraphrasing. According to others, Stalin's speaking style was simple and clear, without flights of fancy, catchy phrases, or platform histrionics. Although he avoided doing so in public, in private, Stalin used coarse language. Trotsky and several other Soviet fixtures, figures promoted the idea that Stalin was a mediocrity. This idea gained widespread acceptance outside the Soviet Union, but was misleading. According to scholars, it is clear from hostile and friendly witnesses alike that Stalin was always exceptional even from childhood. It is noted that everyone who knew him testified that he had remarkable powers of self-control. While sir, some commented on the razor-sharp nature of his attentiveness, memory, and analytical skills, as well as his keen desire to learn. It is stated that as a youth, Stalin was cantankerous, volatile, and ambitious. In his early life, Stalin was not afraid to take physical risks. It is noted that he was charismatic and humorous, yet profoundly morose. He was known as a hard worker. Stalin was described as being capable of self-righteous indignation. He is also described as ambitious and resentful, 
and noted that in politics, he was exceptionally suspicious, vengeful, and sadistic. Similarly, he's described as having a cold lack of compassion, suggesting that his coldness had been actuated by his many years spent in prison and exile. He's also regarded as a natural extremist due to the brutality he displayed when angry. It is thought that Stalin was a great actor who could play many different roles to different audiences. Similarly, conquests regard Stalin's most striking attribute was his ability to deceive others. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.